Well, I heard a rabbi talking uh, not too long ago, and he was sharing uh, something very interesting. He said a lot of people don't realize that the, the Gulf War actually ended on Purim, uh, which is the, the celebration of God's rescue of the Jewish people in the time of Esther. And, and he said there's something to that, and a lot of people aren't aware of it. But he said it has more prophetic significance than that. In that, you ready for this? The enemy in the time of Esther, his, his first name started with an H, and his name was Haman. And then the enemy in the Gulf War, I don't know if you remember this, his name started with an H. Do you remember who it was? Hussein. Then the, the hero, the rescuer uh, in the time of Esther, his name started with an M. It was Mordecai. And the rescuer in the time uh, of the Gulf War, his name started with an M. That hero's name was Major General Schwarzkopf. No, <laughs> it was a joke. Okay. Uh, okay, it didn't go over last hour either. Um, Tony Campola tells about a time that his life was literally changed and transformed by something that happened and that he saw. He had gone down to Haiti for the very first time, and he already was just literally shaken to the core of his being by the extreme poverty that children were suffering. And uh, not even seeing the complete horror of it yet, he went and sat in a restaurant and ordered food, and uh, he was sitting next to a window. And when the food was brought and set before him, he heard a sound and looked over and pressed against the glass were just a bunch of little tiny children who were literally malnourished to the point probably of almost dying. He could see the discolored hair, the gone eyes. He could look down and see the protruding stomachs. And he's watching them look at the food that sits in front of him, knowing that that would save their very life, seeing them longing for it, desiring it, wanting it with everything they had. And then he was shocked because all of a sudden there was this pounding, and the owner of the cafe hit the window really hard and screamed, Get away from there! And he dropped the blinds and turned them so that you couldn't see out. And he said, Ignore them. Here's the question Tony Campolo asked, could you, could I, could we just ignore them? And, and I want you to know that God doesn't. God is looking at our world today and he sees it and hears what's going on in every ounce of horror and pain and anguish that's there. He knows the screams and the cries and he sees the anguish. And many people ask if there's a loving God, why doesn't he do something? And I want to tell you, he's going to do something. He's going to judge the world. Now, deep down, people don't like this. As a matter of fact, I've been a little intrigued how our media has gone and done an amazing twist in the last couple of years. There's a TV show called Supernatural, and the premise of the show is that these two men are going to rise up and show God and attack him because he's so wrong and he's evil. And angels are evil, and demons are somehow good, and that's the main premise of the show. And there's a movie coming out this year called Legion, where a group of people are going to rise up to try to stop God from judging the world. And, and here's what I think is intriguing, is there's a belief in Hollywood today that that plays, that that sells, that the idea we as a world don't see God is good anymore. And we don't like the fact he's going to judge. But I want to tell you he's going to judge. And what is stopping him in this moment is not that the world does not deserve it. What's stopping him is what I shared with you before out of Second Peter chapter 3. That God is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And we're going to talk about that word in a moment. But I want you to know that God is going to judge the world. 
In Psalm 110, verse 6, it says, God will punish the nations and fill their land with corpses. He will shatter heads over the whole earth. God is coming to judge. You might say, why would God judge? Why is he so angry? Well, let me give you some reasons. God is going to judge because of hunger and not caring for the poor. We live in a world today where 17,000 children die every single day from starvation. Now, I want you to think about that. We live in a world today where 17,000 children are dying, not just from disease. They're dying because nobody will feed them. That means every five seconds, a child somewhere in the world dies. By the way, the United States alone could feed those children. It's not that the world does not have the resources. It's that we choose to ignore it. There's a, a horror today called the bottom billion. One billion people living in extreme poverty. It is expected to double to 2 billion people in the next 10 to 20 years. And, and we're in a world that's ignoring and it doesn't care. But God does care. And I believe with all my heart that the third seal of the seven seals has been broken. That Jesus said there would be seven seals broken before he would come. The third has been broken. It's in Revelation chapter 6 verses 5 and 6. It says, when Jesus broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denera, and three quarts of barley for a denera, and do not damage the oil or the wine. Proverbs twenty-one seventeen tells us the oil and the wine are the luxuries of life. The scale he's holding is the scale that should balance out, but it's an unbalanced scale. And, and what is being proclaimed there is Jesus would come in a day of economic unbalance where a very few people in the world would have the luxuries of life. By the way, they, no matter what state you're in right now, if you're living in the United States, you have the luxuries of life. And, and the majority of the world today doesn't. A denera is a day's wage. And an incredible number, billions of people are working for a day's wage just to barely get enough to eat. And if a person in the world today got $200 in a year, in a year, they would be well off compared to most of the world today. We're living in a time like that and we're ignoring it. And you can't miss the fact that when Jesus was on this earth, that only twice did he condemn anybody to hell. Both times, it was people who would not care for the poor. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus condemns to hell the rich man who becomes so wealthy. What does he do? He hoards his goods and holds on to them. And Jesus says that he would be condemned to hell because he was not generous towards God and others. And God is looking at people who don't want to make a difference and don't want to care. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus condemns to hell. The rich man who has Lazarus laying at his gate. And Lazarus is so poor that he just would want just crumbs to be eaten with. But the man ignores him and walks by him and he's condemned to burn for all eternity. Now you can't miss what Jesus is saying. And you can't miss that God is going to judge. And Jesus in talking about the judgment day. The day he would condemn. Says in Matthew chapter 25 verses 41 to 46 these words. It says, then Jesus will say to those who are on his left, Depart from me, you accursed ones, into the eternal fire which was prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. 
And then they themselves will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? It did not take care of you. And then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. God's going to judge the world for that. Now, I know if you're brand new here today, you might be saying, okay, well, you're speaking about it, but what are you doing? Well, let me tell you something, Crossroads family. These words are not going to be said to you. When you get to heaven and he calls for you to stand forth and he says, you're a part of Crossroads Christian Church. Jesus is going to say, I was, I was in prison and you visited me. And, and you might say, when, Lord? And he's going, when you supported Arnold and the prison ministry team and the Christmas in 2009, they gathered nearly 200 children who don't have dads today because their dads are in prison and their moms were there and you gave them food and you gave them clothes and you gave them toys and then you sent a team who we Weekly goes out to love on these men and love on these women and share with them that they can be forgiven too. As you supported Arnold in doing that, great things like that occurred. And we've been doing that. As you Crossroads Christian Church and the family of this church, as you were faithful and supporting, and now we've begun to reach out to children in Kenya who literally would have starved to death if it wasn't for you. And we've gotten them to a place where they get food and they get clothes and they get medical care. As you've helped feed them, as you've provided for them, so you've done it unto Jesus. And the hundreds and hundreds of children that we're reaching right now in India that because of this church family's faithfulness, they're being fed, they're being cared for. And don't miss this, the little girls that we've actually paid to get out of bondage as they were being used as sex slaves. Little girls. Man, you've made a difference. And you don't miss the fact that that's huge to God. And I want to tell you, if the Lord tarries, I'm going to be sharing next week that we've got to take that number from the hundreds to the thousands because the need is great and we can do it. I mean, we can do it. In the book of Revelation, there are seven blessings giving, but don't miss this. There are 14 woes. Now, the woe is a cry of terror over what's happening and a cry for judgment. 14 times God says the world must be judged. And we live in a world today that needs to be judged. One of the greatest judgments and curses the world will experience is when the church is raptured. I want you to think about this. When, when world vision that literally feeds and clothes 18 million children evaporates. When Compassion International that feeds and clothes millions and millions of children is gone. When churches like this are gone, who's going to take care of those children? There's nobody else doing it. And anybody who has any kind of intelligence knows that's true. Syracuse University did a study and it was called Who Really Cares? And they found out if it wasn't for born again evangelical Christians, literally nothing would be happening in the world of compassion. Now you need to know that's true. And... When the church is raptured out, no one else is caring. God's calling for us to care. And he says, I'll judge people, individuals, and I'll judge a world that does not care. God is right to judge. And by the way, the only thing staying his hand right now is waiting for people to turn and say, God, forgive me, and coming to his love. God is going to judge the world because of the death of children, because of not protecting the most innocent. We live in a world today where 115,000 children die from abortions every single year. By the way, we call that a right. You live in a country that defends it. 
And God sees the cry of those children. He hears that cry. He sees their pain. And the majority of them die in extreme agony. That means that a child dies every single second the clock ticks from abortion. And you know what? You've got to understand that it's not a right. It's murder. This is an innocent baby. Every time the Bible refers to a child in the womb, it calls it a child because it is. My daughter-in-law, Jill, is pregnant, not with a fetus, but with my grandchild. And you need to understand it's an evil world that doesn't get that. In Proverbs 24, 11 and 12, listen to what it says. It says, deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to the slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this. Does he not consider who weighs your hearts? Does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to every man according to that work? Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the first time the phrase an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is used in the Bible. It's used in regards to two men who are fighting and a woman who's pregnant intercedes. And because she intercedes, it gets hit. Whatever happens to the child within her happens to the man who did it. If the child comes out blind, you blind the man. If the child comes out lame, you lame the man. If the child comes out dead, you kill the man. Referring to a child inside. God's teaching is clear. He will judge the world for the annihilation of those children. Do you realize that means every single day, 132,000 children suffer in a world that could take care of them. God's going to judge this world. God's going to judge this world because of immorality and the fact we call evil good and good evil. You and I live in a world today where $97 billion is spent on pornography. Do you realize we could feed the world with that $97 billion? And we in this country, again, not only call it a right, we call it free speech. What kind of a world do we live in? That means that every second, $3,000 is spent on sexual immorality and pornography. And God considers this abomination. God considers this a great evil and wrong. And God will judge the world for it. And if you're caught up in it, I want to tell you, and I mean this in a very loving way, repent. You should throw it aside. It's an evil of evils, and you need to know it. You live in a nation today where this year, one in four teenagers will get a sexually transmitted disease. Most of them will carry it the rest of their life. And when we talk about abstinence, we're considered ignorant. People tell us we don't know what we're talking about. And we talk about trying to protect the purity of our children, 18 and down. We're seen as naive. And what is the outcome of it? We have the most depressed group of teenagers we've ever had in our life. We have more teenagers who are in need of medication than we ever have before. Is this country helping them? No, but our world calls it a good that we allow this and actually call for it and want it to happen. Human trafficking, rape, and molestations at an all-time high. Taking young girls and even young boys and forcing them into sex slavery is skyrocketing at a rate that's out of control. God is going to judge a world like this, and we need to know it. God is going to judge a world that calls fornication, which is premarital sex or sex outside of marriage, okay and good. Because God calls it an extreme evil that causes someone to be judged to hell. God will judge adultery. And anybody who commits adultery, the Bible says, be ye not deceived. Adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want to say this as clear as I can. 
If you're here today and you're committing adultery, you better stop. If you don't know how to honor your marriage vow, you better quit. And it's not okay. We're watching movies romanticize. I just watched two movies that tried to make adultery look beautiful. And I want to tell you, that angers God. And I want to be honest, it angers me. I just sat with some children whose dad's committing adultery. He's tearing their hearts apart and their lives apart. And then later on, he looked at me and said, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I, I know I'm okay with God. Well, I don't know what God he's serving. And let me say it, be ye not deceived, you'll go to hell. You might say, oh, I'm a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're not acting like one. And you know what? God's not going to let you off. You better repent. And I'm not kidding about this. You better repent. It's not okay. And when God says don't be deceived, you don't deceive yourself in this. We live in a world that calls fornication, premarital sex. Okay, it's not. It's sin. Adultery is sin. And you ready for this? Homosexuality is a sin. It's a grave sin. Now, I know right now some of you are even cringing and going, Chuck, that was not politically correct. And you know what? Who, I don't really care. And, uh, and, but doesn't it bother you that that's what's called political correctness? That we defend something that hurts people? If you're here today and struggling with it and you go, well, that just sounds hateful. Don't miss that I already hit adultery and, and premarital sex too. It, it's all the same. And God loves you. He can cure you. And I know you're going, no, you, I don't need to be cured. Yes, you do. You need cure. But there's a God who loves you so much he can take you out of that and free you and, and change you and transform you. And by the way, I, if you're struggling with it, we know that that sin is, is no worse than the other sin. But let me say this, all sin is evil. And, and God, God wants to rescue you. And we can't, we can't miss the fact that we're in a world today that doesn't understand that fornication, adultery, homosexuality. How about this? Prostitution. We call those rights. Recently, uh, some politicians stood up and said, who does it hurt? It hurts young girls. It hurts girls whose lives are ravaged and bodies are ravaged. And we don't catch that. It hurts purity. It hurts life. It hurts marriages. It hurts families. And it ruins bodies. And God today is looking at that. I can't believe that women who are feminists today are actually defending prostitution. And it's like, where did they get this from? How did we get so far off? And, and, and even though, you know, I'm not a huge feminist, at least the feminists of the 80s and 90s knew that women should not be treated this way. We've switched so much that we don't understand the difference between evil and good and light and dark. And we are in the world today of Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 that says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. You see, people today act like they're so superior and they're so much more knowledgeable when they say these things are okay. And we have a whole science saying adultery is okay. We have people today, a whole science saying homosexuality doesn't hurt people. We have a, 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 a whole educational system that actually proclaims fornication is okay. And God looks at it and says it's wrong. We have a country today that says that if a man cheats on his wife, it doesn't affect his ability to lead a country. Now, I don't know about you, but if you can't be trusted to, to be faithful to your wife, why would we trust you with leadership in a nation? Why would we do that? And yet, people don't get it. 
People don't get it. And we're living in a world God will judge because of it. Listen to what God says about judgment in 1 Thessalonians chapter five or chapter 4, verse 2. 1 Thessalonians 4, 2. For you know, he says, what commandment we gave you. Now listen to this. By the authority of the Lord Jesus. This is straight from Jesus. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's all sex outside of marriage. Any kind you can name, all of it's included in this, that you abstain from it. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, Like the Gentiles who do not know God. There's a difference between those who know God and those who don't, he says. And those who know God know not to to have their bodies dictated by lustful passion, but by something better called love. By love. He goes on to say in verse 6, And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all such things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but he called us for sanctification. So he rejects this. is not rejecting man, but God, who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Don't miss what he just said. He said, if you have, have gotten involved in this, you've rejected God. You may say, oh, no, no, I have. Yes, you have. That's the authority of the Lord Jesus that says if that's the lifestyle you're in, you're rejecting him. You're throwing him aside. You could say you believe in him all you want. But the truth of the matter is this is God's word here. And there's no give on this. Don't be deceived. And we live in a world that will be judged because of that. Because of sexual immorality. Because of the murder of children. Because of the fact that we won't care for the poor. We're also in a world that God is going to judge because Christians are being killed. God's children are being slaughtered. From July of 2008 till July of 2009, 176,000 Christians were killed just for being Christians. That means 482 Christians are killed every single day just for their faith. Now, you might feel like, well, is that really happening? I want to ask you a question. How many news stories have you seen on it? Why doesn't the media care? If a a, a serial killer is uncovered for killing 29 people, it's huge news, right? And by the way, it should be. But when 482 Christians are killed today, you won't see a story. When 176,000 are killed, as a matter of fact, when we try to talk about it, we're shouted down. Because we are living in a world today, if you haven't caught it, that doesn't care about that. But God cares about it. They're his children that he loves. And Jesus said, when I come back to judge the world, which is called the second coming of Jesus Christ, I will judge the world for the torture and the death they've inflicted upon my children. He says, that's one of the primary reasons I'm coming to judge. That's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. Listen to what it says. It says this. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are now suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, talking about Christians, and to give relief to those who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. The first time he came, he came as a baby in the manger. The next time he comes as a conquering king to judge the world. Listen to why he'll judge. He comes, according to verse 8, dealing out retribution 
to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen to that again. When he comes to judge, who does he judge? Those who do not know God and even if you say you know him, to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay with the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints that day and to be marveled at among those who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. Now I want to say this today, don't miss it. When Jesus comes back, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, you'll be judged. And if you know who he is, and maybe at one time had one, but you do not obey him, you will be judged too with an eternal penalty of destruction. Now, you need to understand how serious this is. I know, and it makes me quiver inside, that we're living in a time where the judgment of God is so close. James 5 says that he is standing at the very door. In verse 9 it says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. He's getting so close to coming. You might say, how do we know he's coming soon? Well, Joel chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 actually tells us when to know the countdown of the coming is. How to know it has begun. And we live in those days and times. Joel 3, 1 and 2, listen to what it says. For behold, in those days and at that time. Now let me stop. This is very purposefully spoken by God to us. So you know there's a specific time in mind. In the days we're about to read about, and that particular time, this is going to occur. It says, Behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is the valley of judgment. And then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. Now, how do we know the days and times judgment's going to come? It says, first of all, it will be at a time when the Jewish people were actually scattered from their land and did not live in mass in Israel. In 70 AD, the Romans scattered the Jewish people all around the world. And then it says, you'll know you're living in those days and time when they're gathered back together in their land. And when the fortune of Judah and Jerusalem is joined together. In 1948, Israel gathered back together and became a nation. And even today, there's a huge gathering of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. And then in 1967... In June of 1967, there was the Six-Day War. And what happened is they reclaimed Jerusalem. And now today, Jerusalem is back in the hands of the Jewish people. Jesus said that the time that they're scattered is called the time of the Gentiles in Luke 21. And he says, when the time of the Gentiles is ended and Jerusalem is back in the hands of the Jews, Luke 21, verse 24, he says, then at that time, look up. Get your heads up. Begin to watch for the signs to occur of my coming. And what Jesus was telling us is that Jerusalem is the key. And as a matter of fact, we know it's the key when it's the focus of worldwide attention. Zechariah chapter 12, 3, talking about the last days, says this. It says in verse 3, And it will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. And all who lift it up will be severely injured. Now listen to this. And all the nations of the earth will be gathered together against it. Now, we know we live in the day and time that God's ready to render judgment on the world when Jerusalem becomes the focus of the world. Think about it. Why would that little city literally get worldwide attention? 
And this was said thousands and thousands of years ago, saying, watch for a day where every nation is focused on it. And you know what? Just this year, it had renewed focus like never before. As a matter of fact, on December the 2nd of 2009, the headline in the Sophia News Agency read this, Israel reacts angrily to a European Union-Palestinian state draft report. Why? Listen to what it says. Israel has reacted strongly to the recommendation that the European Union draft report that East Jerusalem be recognized as the capital of a future Palestinian state. This draft document was due to be discussed by the European Union foreign ministers next week. It is critical of Israel's policy towards the Palestinians, warning that the peace process negotiation should resume urgently and to break the current stalemate. Now, again, I want to say this. We as Christians are not for the inhumane treatment of the Palestinians. That's not okay. It's not okay in the eyes of God, and it's not okay uh, uh, in the eyes uh, of Christians. But also, we need to understand that according to Scripture, Jerusalem belongs to the Jewish people. And anybody that seeks to lift and take it away, it says will be severely injured. And all the nations of the world will focus on this. The European Union is focusing on this. President Obama is focusing on this. Uh, Russia issued statements focusing on it. China is focused on it. The Islamic world is focused on it. All the nations of the earth somehow look at what's going on there. And it says when you live in a day and time like that, know that the coming of the Lord is very, very close. We live in a day where it's so precarious that Iran has threatened to literally wipe Israel out as a nation. They have threatened to come and exterminate them just this year. But here's what's going on. The Huffington Post, again, December the 2nd, 2009, said, While all eyes seem to be on Afghanistan, the situation with Iran is now spiraling out of control. Why? Because there's such a movement in Iran today to attack Israel and to actually gain nuclear weapons to do it. That's why on March the 5th in 2009, the Jerusalem Post said this. It said, Israel is seriously considering taking unilateral military action to stop Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons. In other words, according to U.S. top officials in this news report, Israel now is laying out a plan to attack Iran. Now, what do you think is going to happen when Israel attacks Iran? What do you think? I'll tell you what's going to happen. There's going to be a cry for world peace like there never has been before. And the Bible tells us in Daniel 9, 27... That a man will rise up and he'll bring the peace. By the way, the world will cheer him on. The Bible calls this man the Antichrist. The clearest way to spot his rise is to watch for a peace treaty in the Middle East. And we're getting closer and closer to the desire to see that happen. In Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, it says the Antichrist will, revive, will rise out of the revived Roman Empire. The European Union just this year had a ratification like no other. Ireland voted to now become a part of the European Union. It was the last great holdout. And now today, the European Union is stronger than it's ever been. They're stronger monetarily. They're, gonna, uh, they're stronger militarily. They are now pooling together their political resources. They're very much a United States of Europe. And all this began in 1957 in what was called the Treaty of Rome with a desire to revive the Roman Empire. And you and I live in the 
the only days since Rome when it's been revived. The presidency of the European Union is going to have more authority and more power than ever before. Tony Blair is slated to become one of the next presidents. And by the way, Tony Blair, just recently on the Jack Frost Show, and you can go on YouTube and watch the interview as he sits in Jerusalem calling for a peace of Jerusalem driven by the European Union, the revived Roman Empire. Now somebody is going to rise out of that arena. The Bible's clear about that. And he will rise up with a political move that will cause a treaty to be born. Now, Tony Wood said that I was going to tell you today who the Antichrist is. And I decided I would. So here you go. Here's who the Antichrist is. <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Take that down quick. Um, there, there's a book coming out called Oh God by Josh McDowell. It's pretty interesting in and of itself. But, but here's my point. It, it's really not Oprah, so please don't go out and say it was Oprah. Uh, he, it, he is going to rise up, and we'll spot him politically because of bringing a peace treaty to the Middle East and allowing the worship on the Temple Mount to actually start again, which, by the way, rabbis today are calling for. And every single thing that's needed to build, to, be, to, to actually uh, be inside of the Temple and the Holy of Holies is already made. The candelabra is made. The, the curtains made. The table, the bread table is made. Everything's just waiting for the day it could be built around it. Even a cornerstone's been made. So we live in a time getting ready for that. But listen to something else he's going to do. He's going to enact a worldwide economic system. And this last year has set us up like no other time in history. In Revelation 13, 16 to 18, referring to the economic side of the Antichrist, it says this. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the freemen and the slaves, and everybody, everybody in the whole world, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Now, I want you to know this. It's going to talk about the fact that you cannot access a financial transaction without something on your right hand. Then it uses the word forehead. The word forehead is a Greek word, meta-opon. Meta means in the midst of, opon literally means the eye. So the word, that's where we get optometry from. So here, thousands and thousands of years ago, John was told... Someone would rise up and create a system worldwide that people cannot access a financial transaction without something scanned on their right hand or in the midst of their eye. Now, we live in the day where the technology is available and even being used. 20 years ago when I talked about this, people go, oh, that's crazy. We live in the time. Does anybody doubt here that a day is coming when you can't access your financial funds by having your eye scanned? And you know what? The Bible says it was going to happen. Listen to what it goes on to say. Verse 17. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now notice this next line. Here is wisdom. God tells us to think this through. God tells us a wise person will watch for this. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Now, just as the Antichrist will be forced into action by war in the Middle East, and we see it getting ready to happen, the Antichrist also will rise to action because of an economic catastrophe. And by the way, we watched a hiccup happen. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, on March the 24th, 2009, the Wall Street Journal had these words, China takes aim at the dollar. Now, this becomes important for what we're talking about. Listen to what it says. 
China called for the creation of a new currency to eventually replace the dollar as the world standard, proposing a sweeping overhaul of global finance that reflects the developing nations growing in happiness with the U.S. role in the world economy. Now, now, I know many of you know about this and you've been following it, but right now what's going on is that the world's economy is in trouble. And, and we did not help the world's economy when the stimulus package was enacted. And, and just to say it very simply, we basically printed money like crazy with no backing whatsoever. In 1965, the U.S. dollar was primarily backed by gold. In the 1970s, we, we backed the U.S. dollar with manufacturing. By the way, do you think the U.S. dollar is backed by gold today? No. Is it backed by manufacturing today? No. You know what it's backed by? Debt. Debt. And 65% of the world's economy is based on the U.S. dollar. 15% on the euro. And China, China wants something to stop this. So in May, China alone bought 100 billion U.S. dollars just to pull them off the market. And we're still putting more out there. I mean, they're concerned because the global financial state is horrible. And the Global Research Council, which, by the way, is a very, very well-known economic forum, and I've given you in your notes a document there I want you to go and check out. The Global Research Council is warning that we better take our eyes and watch this because here's what they said. Are you ready? Just as everybody in the United States deep down knew the real estate market was a bubble that would burst and fall. Just like we all deep down knew that, but we ignored it. He said, today, according to this group, the worldwide economy is even worse shape. We have a world economy based on debt. How can you go on based on debt? And something's got to change. And, and the, these economists, European economists, and China is calling for us to move away from the dollar. Now, guess what they're proposing? A cashless instrument that would take over and be more stable. By the way, is it really, does anybody here doubt that in a few years we're going to be moving to a cashless society? Years ago, everybody thought that was crazy. Now there's a need like no other, and it's being hastened in force because of what's going on in the world economy and the danger we're facing. And a day is going to come, I really believe, in the not-too-distant future, you're going to watch this be enacted before you. And that is one of the signs of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to judge this world. Along with the fact Jesus said, you'll know you live in those days and times when a country can amass a 200 million man army. And by the way, now we have two countries that are ready to amass 200 million man armies, China and India. At the time that was written, there was only 200 million people in the world. He says, you know, you live in those days and time when two men could be killed in the streets of Jerusalem and the whole world could watch it live. By the way, just before I came here today, I hit my computer and I can actually look at that spot in Jerusalem live. There's actually a, cam a webcam on Temple Mount constantly aimed there. So anybody, anytime can see what's happening 24 hours a day. We live in that day and time. And things that are happening today are happening like no other. Uh, we were warned in the Gospel of Luke and also in the book of Revelation, you'll know in that day and time when the world is concerned about being hit by objects from outer space. And just in July, Jerusalem, or, or excuse me, Jupiter was hit with an object that caused such destruction upon that planet. It literally rung Jupiter like a bell. And everybody who was an astronomer said, well, if that had hit the, the world, it would have literally destroyed the earth. And of course, astronomers say, that's one of Jupiter's reasons for being there. By the way, I've always wondered, then who do they think put it there? Uh, but, you know, but here's my point. 
astronomers are always telling us that they know it's not a question of if or if, but when we get hit. And the Bible says we'll be hit three times towards the end. And all three times are accurately described within the book of Revelation in chapter 8. Exactly scientifically, they fit what we know today. We've never lived in a world like this. God is ready to judge. I mean, the horror that's going on deserves judgment. And by the way, again, I want to say, if that includes what you're doing, it, it's a loving word I'm about to use, repent. Why is repent a loving word? Because it means you don't have to go on. You can change. You can be different. Jesus came and died on the cross to wipe away your sins and set you free. He came to cause you to have healing within who you are. He came to offer you a new life. And it doesn't matter what state you're in right now, you can turn and come to him. That's the most loving word you've ever heard in your life, repent. It means that you, I had a chance, you have a chance, we all can come to him. Some of you need to repent and turn to God, not just because of what you've done, but because of what has been done to you. You know, when I talked about divorce and adultery, you know the pain you experienced because a, a family member did it. And you know what? That pain is there. But if you come to Jesus, he will help heal it. Some of you know the pain because you were the one betrayed. He can heal it. Some of you know the pain because you've had things done to you. I threw out a word molestation just quickly, and you're sitting there going, that's not a quick word. And you know what? God looks and hates what happened to you, and he can heal you from it. Some of you are doing things, you go, I don't even know why I do it. Guess what? According to the book of Romans, the answer to that is Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation in Jesus. Come to him. Now, how do you come to him? Well, the answer is this. You tell him you want to come. You pray a prayer and you say these words. You say, Lord, I want you. I want the life. I want the forgiveness. I want the love. I want to be yours completely. And when you say that, what you're saying is, I actually want to come into a real relationship so I can know you. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, behold, I stand at the door and I knock, Jesus said. And if you would open up, I would come and we would have that kind of relationship together. And all you need to do is say to the words, I'm opening up. I want this. And in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And, and my hope and desire is that some of you today would pray that prayer with me. And you'd say yes to Jesus and open up to him. Some of you today, at one time, you were right with God, but you're not now. And you know what? The Lord says, come back. How do you do it? Revelation 2 also tells us, remember, remember from where you've fallen and repent. Turn around and do what you used to do. Pray the prayer again and come back. He would never turn you away. And so I'm going to ask you today if you want to recommit to come back to him. But, but here's the other thing. Don't miss this. That God loves you. And, and if you would do this, if you would say yes the first time or come back to him, you're going to know him and then you're going to begin living your life obeying him. And today, that's what he wants. He wants you to know him and to obey. Why? Because he has an amazing life for you to live. And he's a father who wants to adopt you and love you as his child. And so the whole idea of obeying him isn't this mean thing. It's this wonderful thing that he wants for you. So do you know the Lord? If not, come to know him today. Are you obeying him? If not, come back to him today. So we're going to lead that prayer time. But then I'm going to ask you to do something else. After we prayed, I'm going to ask everybody who prayed that prayer in a minute, I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. And that means I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to stand up to make your way to an aisle or to the stairways. And by the way, people would love to let you out. And I'm going to ask you to come forward. 
And I'm going to ask you to meet me for a second and then head into this room we call our living room and we want to give you some things. But let me tell you why I'm asking you to come. Because that's what obedience does. If you say these words and mean them, you're going to want to step out. You're going to do a physical form of worship. And you're going to be honoring what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my fathers in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you. When you stand up and you step out, you're saying to yourself, you're saying to God, you're saying to us, I confess that I'm his now. And I'm walking away from that seat in a very physical form of worship saying, I want to be different and I want to be changed. And I want to tell you, when you do that, you connect to God in a deeper way. You sense his presence even more than you do during the prayer. It takes you to a new level of intimacy. And if you want to, you can grab a friend's hand or a family member's hand and say, come support me. But I want to tell you, if you pray the prayer and mean it, I know it takes courage. But it takes courage to follow Jesus. So I'm going to ask you with just please, please to come. To pray and say yes to him and to step out and come. And by the way, if you want to be baptized today, we also are going to ask you to come in this time. But let's pray together now. Father, I know the world is in a very precarious state. And I know that the time of judgment is rapidly coming upon us. And whether that's a year or 10 years or, or 20, we don't know that. What we know is that the world's reached a place that deserves it and we're watching things being set up for it to happen. And, and I really believe with all my heart, Lord, once the first uh, domino falls, the main one coming next, it's going to happen fast. And I pray we as a church family will be found faithful. I pray we'd be found faithful in caring for people and their needs, loving them. I pray we'd be found faithful in, in counseling people to get free. And I pray we'd be found mostly faithful in calling people to let them know that they can have a relationship with you of love and care. And Lord, that's what I pray right now. I pray your Holy Spirit would come in this room. I pray, God, you would stir and touch anybody right now who needs to say yes to you or to come back to you. And God, right now, there would be some people here who they're about to be set free from things they don't want to do anymore. God, I think there might be somebody here today who they didn't walk in thinking they needed to quit, but there's something now they know they need to quit and they're going to. And God, I know there probably is some, some guilt and sorrow in their hearts right now over what they've done. But Lord, in a moment, they're about to have that washed away and released and they're only gonna be the new person. Father, I pray there for the woman who's here today and she does, deep down, she's already known how wrong some of the things she's done are. She's been almost never wanting anybody to know, but you know and she knows and now she can be set free too and cleansed and new and pure. So God, I pray right now that your spirit's gonna call anyone who needs to come to you and be cleansed by you to be healed for those who have hurt and pain. God, the healing could come. And that means Lord, not just for them, but for relationships and marriages and kids and friendships. And God, it's about to change. But most of all, they come to know you or they come back to you. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And right now, I'm going to ask this. If you're right with God, would you pray, pray, pray for those who need to make this decision? And if you do, if you want to say yes to God, you want to come back to Him, I'm going to ask you to pray the prayer with me. Before I pray it, do you want to pray it? Do you sense Him calling you? Are you ready to say yes? And if so, let's whisper these words. Say this. Say, Lord Jesus. I know you love me and I know that you died on the cross 
to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurt, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say yes. I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love. And fill me with your spirit. And help me be who you created me to be. And to live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, praise God for every one of you who prayed that prayer.